Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There is a massive <laughs> rainbow just outside my window. Oh, I think it's the Queen. You know oh, how there was queenie. the wind, there was the rainbow. Yeah, over that, the um, castle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, mm. she's, hey, she's listening. She's listening. Mm. Oh, long time listener. Yeah, first, first time. First time. Rainbow. Rainbow. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Chicks Tree, the podcast that is rewriting the history books to include the women that were written out of them. My name's Annie and I'm joined by the fabulous Phoebe Wilkins. Hello, I am here. That is what. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, here I am. It is me. <laughs> Feeling very sing-songy today. Yeah, Don't I know. know why. <laughs> let's do Just the one whole. Of those days. Let's do the whole episode in song. Well, you can. This voice <laughs> is not made for singing. Not unless I've had a few wines. Uh, how's your week been? <gasps> My week's been great. How's your week been? My week's been great. Excellent. Glad we got that out of the way. Yeah, and now we're done. No, <laughs> yeah. um, I did want to, I, I know we spoke about this um, yeah. earlier in the week. We've had some really lovely feedback from some of our listeners, which has been so nice. It's, yeah, it's very um, heartening to hear such nice feedback and positive, positive yeah. reviews. Um, yeah, yeah. But we do have two um, new listeners. Do my we? yeah, yeah. Um, my two nephews, Taylor and Ollie, have been listening, oh, and it. they're loving it. They're just good. they're learning all sorts of things. So that's so good. Let's yeah. start the boys young, mm. indoctrinate them into learning about the history of amazing women. Exactly. That's exactly. So they're just. Um, I'll be giving them a pop quiz when I see them next to make After sure that they're. Um, yeah, taking it all in. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, hello to Ollie and Taylor. Thanks for listening, and mm. um, yeah, tell your friends. Yeah, tell, tell all your, your mates at school. Tell your mates at school <laughs> to listen to listen Play to some <laughs> middle-aged women talk about other women. Oh, it'd be a hit with the kids, let me tell you. Oh, they will love it. <laughs> Although when I say middle age, I'm really just talking about myself because you're not. I'm close. Anywho. I'm really close. Yes, real <laughs> close. Big day today, although this will come out in a couple of weeks' time, but um, Her Majesty the Queen has passed away. Good innings. And, I mean, yeah, I was chatting to a friend about this today and talking about how just the whole monarchy, you know, I don't really believe in that and mm-hmm. I think it's very outdated and, um, you know, it's not, not much need for it. But her as a, as a woman and as a chick, and we've done it, actually have done an episode on her mm. a while ago that Evie did and just an incredible woman who had to, you know, take on so much at such a young age. Yeah, she um, was extraordinary. 20, 25, I think, when um, when she received the crown. But mm. yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think the monarch is just, you know, 
yeah. ridiculous, overblown establishment. Um, excellent entertainment, though. I do love The Crown, the Netflix Same. series. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like she would have had to deal with a lot of adversity in her 70 mm. years on the throne yeah. uh, regardless of, and, you know, she obviously have to, so much of what she would have had to do comes down to obligation and for yep. her duty family, and, the duty, mm. her country, her statesmen. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a big legacy that's gone. Mm. But my, one of my first thoughts was, Oh, they're going to have to change the money. They're going to have to pop pop the old King King Charles. I know. Here's and, a, I'm going to I'm going to throw you a random fact that please. I have been told. I have not yet been able to verify it, but at one point in history, cannot tell you when because I don't mm-hmm. know. This is just how mm-hmm. unverified this fact is. Um, there was a king in England, and his mm-hmm. name was Stephen. King Stephen, something like that. King Steve-o. I love it. And he decided to change the name of England to Stephen. (laughs) I don't know how long. Seriously, someone's told me this years ago and I've hung on to it Um, and I've tried to verify it, like very briefly tried to verify it Uh, and I don't know when it happened. So, like, throw this out at a dinner party, guys. Just, you know, <laughs> at your next trivia night, uh, Stephen. I'm going yeah, on holiday Stephen to Stephen. in the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So there you oh, go. That's, that's brilliant. That's not my historical fact today. That's just a random throw, throw away. Mm. Speaking of kings, I was actually watching uh, on the History Channel the documentary of the execution of King Charles I. Okay. And he was actually tried for treason, which is very interesting because how do you try a king for treason mm. against the king? But he oh, was yeah. tried. And the fact that you do even put the king on trial is in mm. fact treason in itself. Oh. So he so there's this documentary about this this king and what happened and it was basically because he led um he forced people to go into a civil war and I can't remember what war it is and I'm not very good with those facts, war mm-hmm. facts. Um, but because he did that, it must have been the co- the court or the oh, whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah tr- yep. you know. But yeah, they, they tried him and um, off with his head. Oh, off with his head. <gasps> yes. Oh, Charlie. And, yeah, and it got, it sort of went from bad to worse and he was in the palace. It doesn't sound great. No, no. It just didn't end well. Let me tell you, it didn't end well. Um, but but there's this part in it where he's in the palace and they do like the reenactments and stuff and they've got a guy, you know, playing him and he's there and they're like, event, you know, bit by bit they started taking away his powers and then there's one bit where it's like and he was just left in the palace, just him and his dog. Left, and he's sitting like in this, you know, huge big palace, just you know, patting his patting his little dog, oh. just. <laughs> and he actually is probably um, what the dogs King Charles Spaniels have been named after, because I know that they were named after um, a king. So there that could you be go. <gasps> we're just pulling out all the oh, facts today, God. aren't we? Just look at us go. Do you know what else I learned while watching that? Here's another mm-hmm. interesting um, factoid. I learned where the term Boxing Day came from. Oh, yes. So 
originally it was because the day after Christmas all of the servants were given boxes and mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to celebrate Christmas with the fancy people. Mm. So the next day for them was the day that they could unbox their boxes that were given to them mm-hmm. by their masters and then they were also able to take boxes home to their family. So that's where the term Boxing Day go. comes from. There you go. Yeah. Look at you just Look. throwing out the historical facts and that's there. Not even, it's not even my segment. Speaking oh. of... <laughs> What's your historical fact today? Between 1838 and 1902, did you know it was illegal to swim during the day at a number of beaches around Sydney? Uh, say the dates again. 1838 to 1902. So it's a long oh, time. That's a big time, a long yeah. time. Yeah, so almost 70 years. Okay. Um, so the New South Wales authorities feared that swimming during the day would raise morality concerns. I know. Uh, uh, mm. And anyone breaking the rules uh, could come face-to-face with the inspector of nuisances. What a name. <laughs> um, but, and so in 1902, William Gocher, Gotcha, Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. gotcha mm-hmm. advertised that he was going to swim at Manly Beach to protest this law. Mm. Then other protests were also held at other beaches in solidarity with him. No one was arrested um, as police were reluctant to arrest the bathers as long as they were decently clothed because it was all about being, you know, decent exposure. Absolutely. And then going on from that, swimwear as we would know it um, didn't appear until the early 20th century, which was usually woolen or cotton neck-to-knee Yes. Suits. Yes. Uh, and before their invention, many just wore their underwear, which would have been a similar design to those mm. bathing suits. Long or, johns. Exactly. Or they just wore their birthday suits. Oh, nothing. Nothing. Nutty. Did they get, they would have gotten in trouble for being nutty. We did imagine, but maybe that's why this indecency. Yeah. Um, that's probably, that's probably why because there yeah. are a lot of people going skinny dipping in the daytime. Exactly. But you imagine too, like those, if you've ever got, if you've ever been out in the rain and you've gotten a woolen jumper wet, apart from the smell, it's Ugh. so heavy. So imagine swimming, wearing that. It would be so heavy. Yeah. So you've either, like prior to the swimming costumes, if you're wearing your underwear or say you were going to wear the clothes that you're wearing, which you'd then have to wash and get dry, yeah. it would be so heavy that you'd probably drown. You would sink, absolutely. Yeah, women be- especially, like those dresses and yes. your petticoats and the absolutely. whole thing. Absolutely. Mm. It just reminds me of it reminds me of school, being in a school, a warm oh. school jumper and being caught yeah. in the rain. <clears throat> And just, yeah, the smell of the wet smell. wool and yeah. just the itchy because they're always itchy. Mm. Love it. All right. Da, 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 da. Put the little music in there. Yeah. La, 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 la. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. I love it when you start <laughs> and ask me a question. Know, Every I time know. I love it. Yes, <laughs> go, go ahead. Um, do you speak any other languages? Niente. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. Gesundheit? No, 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 I don't. Unfortunately, I don't, and it's and it's 
it's something I'm very ashamed of because I grew up with an Italian father who spoke fluent Italian mm. to uh, on the phone to my relatives and I used to scream at him and tell him to speak English <laughs> because I was a mole. Um, <laughs> and, you know, growing up in the 80s in Australia, you just wanted to be Aussie. I didn't yeah. want to be a wog as yeah. You know, we were as what we called ourselves as you know we were known, and I just wish I'd just listened to my dad. You know, because I could I would have been able to speak it fluently Mm. if I'd just embraced it. Yeah, and it wasn't until you know after he died and you know later on in life where I was like, oh God, it's such a missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah. You six years of. School French, been there a number of, ta- number of times. Like there's about four words I remember. Okay. There's about four Dutch words that I know to look at because of my own research, but that's okay. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, I'm going to say no. I know how to count uh, to 10 in Italian. Well, I know how to yeah. count to 20. So you're just mm. useless things like window, la finestra. Yeah. Like yeah. What? That? when am I ever going to just need the word window? <laughs> like, you know. Open the window. That's probably not even right. It's probably La Fiestra or La Fanesa. I don't know. So you can't remember. Anywho. Anyway, moving on. Moving right uh, along. So really, let's, I'll, I'll put us both to shame. The chick that I'm going to tell you about today was fluent in no less than six languages, mm-hmm. travelled through deserts, climbed mountains, and was integral in the war effort in the Middle East during the First World War. You've got another adventurer. I know. And it I was unintentional, it. but I was like, oh. So today I'm going to tell you about Gertrude Bell. Okay, so we're travelling back to the 1860s and Mm. let me set the scene for you. In 1860, Florence Nightingale opens a training school for nurses at St Thomas's Hospital, which in turn establishes nursing as a profession. In 1862, Louis Pasteur, there's that French, uses heat to destroy microorganisms in liquid food and in the process that becomes known as pasteurisation. And then on the 9th of January 1868, convict transport finally ends to Australia. Wow, that's go. that's a little little uh, nod to last week's episode. Yes, yes, it is. All right, Gertrude Margaret Lothian Bell was born on the fourteenth of July, eighteen sixty eight, in Durham, in northeast England. Mm-hmm. She was the firstborn daughter to Hugh Bell and Mary Shield. The Bells were a wealthy family. Her father, Sir Hugh Bell, was a mill owner and the second baronet, and was said to have been a good employer who made sure his workers were well paid. What's a baronet? Her- you're gonna ask me this. Let's it's ask one Siri. Of, it, yeah, ask Siri. Hey Siri, what's a baronet? A baronet, or the female equivalent, a baronetess, is the holder of a baronetcy, a hereditary title awarded by the British Crown. Do you want me to keep reading? No, you sound weird. <laughs> Shut up, Siri. <laughs> Sounds weird. Yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. Okay. So it's sort of one of those. The male version one of, those of the baroness. Ti- yeah, yeah, one of those okay. titles that either either bestowed or they're purchased. So it would mean that they would get a large landholding, I would imagine, yeah, probably so a castle, like, you know, like all a favourite, like a queen's yeah, favourite. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Gertrude's grandfather was Sir Isaac Lothian Bell, an industrialist and a Liberal member of Parliament. Gertrude was said to be the favourite and had a close relationship to both men whom had a great influence on her life. They exposed her to internationalism and deep intellectual discussions from a very young age. Sadly, when Gertrude was just three years old, her mother Mary died in childbirth with her younger brother Maurice. 
Classic. Her father remarried four years later when Gertrude was seven. She went on to have a close relationship with her stepmother Florence, who was a playwright and a children's author, and it was Florence that really saw Gertrude's potential and intelligence and ensured that she received an excellent education. At the age of 17, Gertrude was accepted into Oxford University to study modern history. Mm-hmm. History was one of the few subjects women were allowed to study at the time, and two years later she was the first woman to graduate with a first-class honour degree. Wow. Eleven people graduated that year, nine men and two women. However, the women were not awarded academic degrees. See, that's the thing. That's so annoying. There's there's quite a number of those stories where we've said that, you know, they go to uni, they do all the Mm. things. All but the they, same. But they're yeah. not awarded anything. Exactly. Yeah. Why? That is just, it's so unfair. Yeah. And so it wasn't, um, academic degrees weren't awarded at Oxford until 1920. So 28 years after Gertrude completed her studies. Holy that's a, shit. That's a long time. That's a, oh it's a really long time. Oh I mean, sometimes God. it felt like I was studying for 28 years. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> but imagine, I got like, a degree. even. Imagine just the what it would do to you kind of mentally knowing mm. that you're doing this and you're not going to get that piece of paper at the end, right? That's, you're that's doing exactly it right. just to just to you know educate yourself. Mm. But you're not going to get the piece of paper at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, just a bit of fluff. That's what, just like, a, that's what it feels be, like. Well, just pass the time. Just be yeah, bored. Exactly. That I um, mean, and then you're expected to marry anyway, and you wouldn't be working, so oh you wouldn't God. be allowed to use your brain. This podcast makes me want to flip tables sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Take note. <laughs> Shortly after she finished at Oxford, she set off for Tehran where she visited her uncle. She loved it so much that she stayed for six months and referred to it as paradise. Then in 1898, accompanied by her younger brother Maurice, the pair embarked on a world tour. They visited Mexico, America, Japan and China and returned to England via Egypt, Greece and Turkey. I know, like what a a trip. By boat. Yeah, that's right. Or... Some of it was probably overland. Yeah, horses. Yeah. Donkeys. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Camels. Camels, all of the the four-legged friends. (laughs) (laughs) Goats. Mules. Mules. Uh, It was on this trip whilst visiting Italy with her father that she met archaeologist David Hogarth and began an in-depth study of Greek antiquities. Oh, interesting. Mm. The following year she returned to the Middle East where she visited Palestine and Syria and began her lifelong learning and love of languages. By this time she was already fluent in French from her school days and soon became fluent in Arabic, Farsi, German, Italian and Turkish. Oh, Jesus. I know. Good on her. Then in early 1900 she had her first desert journey through Jerusalem which took her through Jericho, the Jordan Valley, Karak and Petra and where her and her party camped in tents which had been brought to them by their pack mules. Overland, there, there we you go. go. She loved Jerusalem so much that she returned later that same year to continue her travels and visit archaeological sites. It can be seen in some of her photographs of that trip, the tight riding garments that the Europeans were wearing at the time. With the oppressive desert heat, it must have been difficult for anyone to ride a horse, no less a woman in all of her skirts, and expected to ride side saddle. Side, the old side mm, the saddle old again. Side saddle. However, Gertrude improved her own riding outfit by wearing a divided skirt and riding astride the horse and not side saddle like 
out Amazing. one of our previous chicks, Isabella Bird. Bird. Mm. And but I like so she's fashioned a like a bit of a bit of a pant. Yes. So I think she's she, divided the skirt. Yeah, so I don't know whether she just sort of put a slit up one side. Um, yeah, I don't know yeah. how it's been fashioned. Yes, but um yes, she's like. yeah, been inventive. Mm. Mm. Between 1899 and 1904 and in amongst her travels through the desert, Gertrude became a keen mountaineerer. She climbed a number of mountains and recorded 10 first ascents in the Bernese Alps in Switzerland, one of which was more than 2,000 metres high and which was later named Gertrude Spitz in her honour. Oh, she's got a mountain. I know. In 1902, during one of the climbs, she met treacherous conditions and almost lost her life. The hazardous conditions saw her stranded on the side of a mountain, clinging to her rope for 48 hours. Holy shit. Yeah. So two days, just hanging off the side of a mountain. Yeah, and also just think, just, you know, the time, the time, at the Mm. time when she's doing this. Like there's no, I bet you there's no bloody carabiners. No. No, I don't know when the carabiner was invented, but I don't reckon that there was. She had herself a couple of pink carabiners handy. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) she's wearing a harness. I have no idea. No. So not only was she contending with Mother Nature and the brutal elements, she was a woman and expected again to wear all that that encompassed. Mm. So frustrated was she by the lack of appropriate clothing for such activities that she ended up wearing her undergarments for climbing. So I hope they were thermal. That's oh, all yeah. right. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Chilly. <laughs> in amongst her climbing feats, she was also learning the art of photography, which she had mastered by 1901. Her equipment would accompany her throughout her travels and the images she captured are still invaluable historical sources used today by archaeologists and scholars. Wow. Then in 1905, she had had enough of hanging out on the sides of mountains and returned to Syria where she visited ancient archaeological sites in Asia Minor. So this includes parts of modern-day Italy, Greece, Albania, Macedonia, Bulgaria, Turkey, Egypt, Libya, Israel and Lebanon. It was after this she published her observations in a book about the Middle East called Syria, the Desert and the Sown, which was well-received and widely read. Two years later, in 1907, Gertrude returned to Asia Minor and began more archaeological work with Sir William M. Ramsey where they performed and surveyed excavations of destroyed churches and buildings from the Byzantine era Mm -hmm. and which Gertrude had funded and planned all herself. Two years after this, she arrived in Mesopotamia, which is the historical region of Western Asia and today incorporates Iraq. However, that historical region occupied the modern-day Iraq, Kuwait and parts of Iran, Syria and Turkey. Yeah, so she's going. She's going far and wide. Jeez Louise! Here she put her photography photography skills to work once again and photographed carvings in a cave, mapped and described ruins, and met up with two other archaeologists, Reginald Campbell Thompson and T. E. Lawrence. Mm. Lawrence would go on to become a British intelligence officer and would be part of Gertrude's life. But it was said that despite the pair's regular correspondence over a number of years and working together, he did not make a great impression on Gertrude. Despite the reports that the two became great friends. Gertrude made reference to him in some of her correspondence as an able mind, as a companion at dinner, as one of her colleagues, but there was nothing about his personality. <laughs> Which makes you think he might have been a bit of a dud. Bit of a dud. Possibly, <laughs> I'm going to guess, a bit of a mansplainer. Mm, possibly. Mm. So if you think you recognise the name, it's probably because you do and he is more commonly known as Lawrence of Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, that's there him. There you go. There you go. So throughout her travels, Gertrude formed 
a great understanding about local people and cultures and formed close relationships with local inhabitants and tribes across the Middle East. Some of these tribes included the Arabs, Bedouins, Druze, Jews, Christians and Europeans. During this time, she would also meet and spend time with the wives and daughters of notable men without it being seen as a breach of propriety and something that was an an impossibility for male travellers at the time. However, it was the influential males she was more interested in bonding with in the hopes of pursuing them for their influence. In 1909, her guide Fatou, who she had hired in 1905, led her to the fortress of Al-Ukadir near Kabbalah, or modern-day Iraq. You were doing so well with these words and pronunciations, by the way. Thank you, and I'm so sorry if I'm offending anyone <laughs> by my pronunciation. No, you are doing very well. So... Gertrude was the first um, person to see the fortress, um, the first Westerner, sorry, to explore the fortress. Mm. She mapped, sketched, measured and photographed it and she wrote home with great excitement that the discovery would see her recognised as an archaeologist. And on her way back from Ukadia, she stopped at Babylon where she met the German archaeologist Robert Calderway and his team. While she admired their methods as more efficient, she also told them about her recent discoveries. Mm. Swiftly, the men went to the site, mapped and photographed it, and then published (sighs) their findings in 1912. Don't. I'm going to flip a table. I know. So two years before Gertrude could prepare and publish her own original findings. (sighs) Yeah, right? Right? Mm. 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 In 1913, Gertrude made her most arduous journey to date when she travelled nearly 3,000 kilometres from Damascus to the politically volatile city of Hayil in northwestern Saudi Arabia. Only the second woman to do so, and unbeknownst to Gertrude and all other outsiders, there were fierce rivalries which had been fuelled by war in the region. Her return trip back up across the Arabian Peninsula to Baghdad and then to Damascus saw Gertrude become a prisoner in Hale for 11 days Mm. before she was released. I was going to say, like, at this time in history, Mm -hmm. are those places very hostile? I'll be completely honest. For a woman? I don't know a lot of history about the Middle East. Um, From what I have read about her time in the Middle East, it's she will she's obviously had a guide for a number of years. Yeah. So which yeah. you are you know that it's a local person that knows where they're going. Yeah. Um but I think there would obviously would have been an element of danger, but I I don't think yeah. it would have been as dangerous as we would think it would be today yeah, yeah. or know it is today particularly. And I um, imagine being the well. second woman to ever. I know. So the first woman, and her name escapes me, was quite a number of years earlier and she was actually the woman that started breeding the Arab horses. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So um, so she didn't there do, you, you know, the same things as Gertrude, but yeah, she yeah. did a number of the same sort of journeys as well. Amazing. Incredible. Yeah. So after that, uh, after being released, Gertrude later wrote, inhale, murder is like spilling milk. So. Ooh, yeah. That doesn't sound. Doesn't sound nice, pretty. does it? No. The same year she was elected as a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society, a path which had also been paved by Isabella Bird more than 20 years earlier. Ah, mm. little nod. Little nod. I know. I know. 
Then in August 1914, when Britain entered the First World War, followed by the Ottoman Empire a few months later, Gertrude was asked by the British War Office to assess the situation in Syria, Mesopotamia and Arabia due to her extensive knowledge of the Middle East, its languages, people and tribes. Soon after, Gertrude joined the Red Cross, where she was sent to France and then back to England. But by November 1915, she had been summoned back to Egypt, where she worked as an intelligence officer with the British military intelligence, where she was put to work to fill in the gaps in the intelligence files with her own knowledge. She was also among the first to report on the Armenian genocide of 1915-1916. The information gathered by Gertrude was integral and was eventually used by T.E. Lawrence when he infiltrated Arabia to bring the Arabs to the side of the Allies against the Turks in the First World War. And from what I gather, it's not like he pinched her. Right. Took that it was used in consultation from her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, because she would have so much good knowledge of of those places and also sending her into some of those places after she was kind of working with those um, groups, her being a woman, she wouldn't have been seen as a threat or, mm. you know, so almost kind of like a spy kind of thing where she could Ex- get in and exactly. get mm. Exactly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So by the beginning of 1916 she completed her data and report and presented it to the authorities who were amazed at the intimate details and the suggestions, which were rather those of a trained intelligence officer than a good-looking woman. <laughs> Mm. Surprise! I know. Pack out some brains up here. <laughs> then the following year, she was serving as the chief political officer to the British resident in Baghdad and was providing those officials with information, local knowledge, and her expertise. Gertrude was the only woman to work for the British in the Middle East for the war effort, and her knowledge was invaluable. So much mm. so that some of her publications during that time were used in the British Army as guidebooks for new soldiers wow. arriving. Yeah. Even at the end of the war, Gertrude's influence and interest in the region did not wane and she became the Oriental Secretary, which was a mediator between the British and the Arabs and leading to her publication called Self-Determination in Mesopotamia and was part of the British task force alongside T.E. Lawrence to set up policy and national boundaries in Iraq. This led Mm. to her attending the Peace Conference in Paris in 1919 where she was able to incorporate her knowledge into the hearings. She also attended the conference in Cairo two years later alongside T.E. Lawrence and Winston Churchill. Hmm. In 1920, she was the first woman to present a white paper to the British Parliament, which was entitled Review of the Civil Administration in Mesopotamia and detailed establishing the basis of the Iraqi state. In 1922, she became instrumental in helping to initiate borders in modern-day Iraq as well as installing the future leader King Faisal. Faisal. I'm unsure. King King Fasal. That same year she began drafting an antiquities law which aimed to ensure that artefacts that were found in the country were not to be removed. Mm -hmm. The following year King Fasal named her the Director of Antiquaries at the New National Museum of Iraq, which was housed in Baghdad and had much of the creation, collections and cataloguing that is due to her work. After That's suffering, good. That's yeah, good rec- rec- recognition. Yeah, yeah. I and like I, that. I did too. And the yeah. fact that she was um, adamant to try and keep the it all in the country. In the country. Yeah. Because yeah. we all know that often that doesn't happen. No, if anyone's ever listened to the podcast, Stuff the British Stole. The steal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. The yeah. stealing and the pillaging. Yes, mm, absolutely. Exactly. Okay. 
So after suffering ill health and ill mental health for many years, Mm. Gertrude, who had become very frail and suffered from bouts of malaria, then developed bronchitis and pleurisy, died of an apparent overdose of laudanum, which are sleeping pills, Mm. on the 12th of July 1926. King Faisal arranged a military funeral for her and she was laid to rest in the British Civil Cemetery in Baghdad. Gertrude Bell was much revered and became affectionately known as the Desert Queen. It is said that although her travels were arduous, it did not deter her from the niceties of home. She was said to travel in relative luxury with her candlesticks, a Wedgwood dinner service and fashionable garments for evening wear. Oh, <laughs> I know. Sounds like but how despite, I pack. I know, right? Just pop <laughs> Don't in. Don't forget the Wedgwoods. Yeah. <laughs> Despite her love for fashion and the finer things, she was still aware of the threats that followed a woman and foreigner travelling, and this led to her concealing guns underneath her dress just in case. of course. Gertrude Bell leaves a great legacy, which includes the founding of the first British school abroad in Baghdad, and then years after her death, others were established in Rome, Jerusalem, Amman, Athens and Ankara. The British Institute of Study of Iraq, or BISI as it's known, was founded in her memory as was the British School of Archaeology in 1932. To this day, BISI funds and organises lectures, study days and other public events in the UK and Iraq as well as support, retraining and re-equipping the cultural heritage professionals of Iraq. And she bequeaths her books, papers and photographic archives to the University of Newcastle-upon-Tyne, which is still available to use and see today. Wow. So So, much. So much. So aside from her, from many fictional books and biographies Mm. that have portrayed her life, there's also been two films that have been made about her, Mm -hmm. Queen of the Desert, which stars Nicole Kidman, James Franco and Robert Pattinson, I think. Oh, is that you? Yeah. Uh, 2015, I okay. think. Yeah, watch that. And Letters from Baghdad, where Gertrude is voiced by Tilda Swinton. So that oh. is the life of Gertrude Bell. Amazing. Another yeah. amazing woman who mm. just has it. I'm exhausted. She's achieved so much. That's good. I like that. That's got a happy ending, that story. I mean, that she was recognised by so yeah. much and she's left so much legacy, mm. which I think is really important, you know, yep. that she's she was able to do all those things but then recognised for those mm. things. And, again, incredible that we've never heard her name I know. before. Thank you, Gertrude. I Lawrence mean, I of won't Arabia, be going. though. <gasps> yeah. Yep. Heard of him. Mm. He's been around, hasn't he? He's been around. Oh, good job. Well done. That was great. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, she was fun. I um yeah. I, I credit my friend Fern for that one. She told me about Gertrude. Oh, so, thanks, yeah. Fern. So we'll be in your ears again next week. Um, if you haven't given us a little review, that'd be lovely if you could. No pressure. Uh, but yeah, we'll um we'll chat to you next week. Thank you.